This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, what a week of football we have had. Yeah, it's been good, mate. It's uh, it's something about the Champions League semi-finals every year. They just they never, ever, ever let you down. You know, they always seem to be fantastic occasions. And uh, you know, this week was very much the uh, the cherry on the icing of the cake, wasn't it? It was a, a really enjoyable week to be watching football. Yeah, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, we have a fair bit to get through. There's been a few surprises. Um, I'm not really sure where to start, to be honest. I think we'll, I mean, we're recording now on the Thursday morning. We have to start with last night, don't we? Like, it's not necessarily, I mean, Liverpool didn't play, but I suppose it relates to Liverpool because it, it, it's associated with who Liverpool are going to play in the final now. Mm. Uh, I certainly thought it was going to be Manchester City. I'm sure you did as well, especially when they scored first. Mm. But somehow, Real Madrid have done it again. Yeah, the um, yeah, I know Liverpool fans would 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 probably you know try and stake a claim for this being their competition, but uh, you'd have to say Real Madrid just seems to have that next that 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 next level in terms of a, a grip or of a hold on on the Champions League. Um, I mean, I'm, I must admit, you know, before we get into maybe the um, intangibles, you know, I thought they were really lucky. You know, maybe that goes without saying, but a lot of people have kind of been giving them big pats on the back, which in some aspects they do deserve, you know, to, to, to kind of stick at it over the 180 minutes and keep coming back and, and then eventually go on and, and qualify for the final, you know, hats off. But it, I think City did more than, you know, you know, even if we don't even think about the first, like last night, I thought City done more than enough to win the game. Um and Guardiola must have been absolutely sick last night without that. He's cursed, isn't out. he? He's cursed. Yeah. I, I mean, I know most won't feel sorry for them because, you know, where we're at right now, City, Liverpool's biggest rivals for trophies. Um, inevitably, that means, I don't think so much with you, Josh, and maybe if you listen to this, but uh, on the whole, uh, there'll be a feeling of, you know, very little. Um, <laughs> I think that's the term I'm looking for here. Um, very little there sympathy. There won't be many, yeah, very little sympathy for Guardiola. But I had a lot for them yesterday because I thought they, they haven't really done anything wrong, and they've still they've still gone out. Um, but you know that's this competition, and that's Real Madrid in this competition. Yeah, no, I, I did feel for them myself. I have I've read his books and stuff, so I, f- I feel like I know maybe what he's like as a character. Obviously, I, I don't like, but you know that's sometimes a book can do that to you. And um, he, regardless of how much money he spent over the years, he is an elite, ridiculous coach. And since he's been at City in particular, he has without doubt, on more than one occasion, had the best team in the world. He just can't, for whatever reason, uh, win the Champions League with them. And he's only reached one final now. And I thought it was interesting last night. Um, Miguel Delaney tweeted something that I thought was really interesting. He said, uh, I'm going to get it up now, but it was along the lines of City. Basically, I think it was Guardiola, actually. It was Guardiola in particular suffering in the Champions League knockouts 
according to just flurries of goals in spurts, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I found a tweet. So, of Guardiola's 11 Champions League eliminations, eight have seen decisive periods that were sudden collapses. So, in 2010, he conceded two in 13 minutes. In 2014, his team conceded three in 18 minutes. Three in 17 minutes. Two in eight minutes. Three in 19 minutes. Two in three minutes. Two in eight minutes. And last night, three goals in six minutes. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to do with his controlling elements. Maybe it's to do with him having a strict plan. And when the plan goes wrong, everything just collapses at once. But it is it is a strange um, a strange problem that he seems to have in this tournament. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, he said it before. You've got to have some luck in this competition. The only thing is, with a record like that, um, you do start looking beyond it and thinking, well, is it just luck, or is there another factor to it? Uh, I'm probably leaning towards the latter now. You know, maybe it need more more time to look into it. Um, because it can't just all be bad luck. But I do feel like that was really tough. I mean, you go through 90 minutes of a game away from home at the Bernabeu, um, you extend your lead on, on, on aggregate, at least. You do think we've done enough. We haven't conceded a shot in 90 minutes here, uh, or a shot on target in 90 minutes. You know, it's it's the ideal performance. You concede, <laughs> you concede your first shot of the game. Um, and it leads to a goal, and then you know, sixty seconds later, it happens again. And I think, from a psychological perspective, it's just it's nearly impossible to pick yourself up. I think for the for the extra time, and although they, they ended up losing via the penalty, I think uh, I think the the result was always going to go like that once that had happened. Um, so just wild, mate. Really, really insane stuff. And I don't know. I don't know if it has any wider ramifications now for for what what happens in the Premier League. You know, two ways do do they kind of struggle to 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 continue competing at the level they have been, or does it give them extra emphasis to make sure they at least finish the season with one major trophy this season? Yeah, well, that is an interesting show. Actually, that that did cross my mind when Liverpool were two down against Villarreal. I did think to myself, if Liverpool go out to this tournament here with this this sudden, you know, punch in the face, essentially, they could very easily lose to Spurs on the weekend. And it's a shame City don't really have a tougher game. They've got Newcastle at home, which is not far from a given, really. But yeah, I suppose you never know on the back of this. But in terms of Madrid, you know, you mentioned... <laughs> Yeah, they do seem to be just. No, I don't know if getting away with it is the right word, but performance-wise, I have seen this team get hammered a few times this tournament, and mm. they're still. I mean, I watched both legs against PSG. They barely got a kick, mate. They couldn't get the ball from them. Mm. Um, and against City, City could have scored about eighteen, I think, in the Etihad leg, and mm. uh, they, they, they obviously didn't. Um, and Real Madrid have, have now conceded. In every knockout game that they've played so far, they conceded one against PSG, then one again, again against PSG, one against Chelsea, then three against Chelsea, four against City, and then one against City. So they're conceding in every knockout game, but they are just getting through. And I think the expected goals kind of captures their good fortune, if you like. So this is Real Madrid in the knockouts. 
So in the Champions League knockout, Real Madrid have generated about 7.8 xG, uh, excluding penalties, and they've scored 14. Uh, in terms of their opponents, their opponents have generated 10.4 xG, and they've scored 11. So on the defensive side, they've probably conceded as expected, but in attack, they've just massively overperformed to the extent where they've almost scored double the number of goals that their shots have been worth, um, which yeah, you have to say can't continue, but then you have to say, but this isn't the league. This is a knockout tournament, one-off isolated games. I suppose it can continue for one more game. Well, yeah, that's it. It's kind of like you can you can say <clears throat> that shouldn't have happened, how it's happened, but now we're at a stage well, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's a 90-minute match now and, you know, all that goes out the window to an extent. Although, I just, I know people keep going on about the hold they have uh, and there should be a fear factor to an extent, but you just feel like, you know, evidence-wise, Liverpool should comfortably win this. This Not comfortably, you know, I, I take that bit back, but on paper, you'd be like, you know, this is a favourable final for, for Liverpool, but I still don't look at it uh, confidently, you know, from a Liverpool perspective. I, I, I'm leaning more towards Liverpool just because I think they're the better team. But there is there is value in the stuff that we try and give credit for, even though we focus on numbers and the analyst I don't know, aspect of it. But we, we do try and give value to, to things like the, the mental side of the game. And I think this Real Madrid side do definitely have that um, in abundance that, you know, could... Play a crucial role in the in the final. I mean, you you have, you have got a few seasoned performers in there, players who have done it. You know, Benzema, we know all about. Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, Casemiro, Danny Carvajal, uh, Courtois. They've got a lot of players who have who have been around the block basically and and done it before. Um, I think you have to credit the almost the mentality of this team. It's obviously hard to put a number on that, and sometimes it can sound a little bit cliche when you start touching on those elements but there's just too much evidence when it comes to this Real Madrid team especially this season that when it come, when they're faced with adversity they just find a way to to, to win a match um, whether it's holding on or whether it's winning a penalty or making a late goal or whatever um, they just seem to be able to hang on but in terms of performance which is obviously try, what we try to focus on on this podcast Liverpool seems to be on a different level really. Um like Real Madrid, based on the the underlying numbers have got they do have the best attack in Spain, uh, according to expected goals. But in terms of their defence, they're not they're not far from mid table in terms of their defence. Um for example, Osasuna allow marginally less on the defensive side of the game than Real Madrid do. Uh, the same goes for Rayo Vallecano, Getafe, and Athletic Bilbao. You know they're just a, a few teams that that uh, concede fewer xG per match than than Real Madrid do in Spain. So when you're coming up against Liverpool, probably the best attacking team in Europe. On uh, you feel like this could only really go wrong because Liverpool are going to score one or two, I think, against this team. It can only really go wrong if Real Madrid somehow managed to score two or three themselves. Mm. Um, 
and looking at Liverpool's second half of the season, I mean, it shouldn't happen, should it? But you just, I suppose you never know. Well, that's it. We're learning really that you can't write, write them off. And, you know, so we'll, we'll get on to the uh, Villarreal game, won't we, in a little bit. Um, obviously, they conceded two goals in that game. I would have never expected that to happen. You know, madness can can kind of just appear from nowhere. Chaos can appear from nowhere. And Madrid seems to be absolute masters of creating chaos in in, in the Champions League. Um, and it just, that, just that's what it is, isn't it? it it's just yeah. it's chaos. There's, chaos. there's no like identity there. No, well, this is what does annoy me a little bit. You know, we we know Ancelotti really well because not only did he manage Everton, but we we did a lot of Everton shows whilst Ancelotti was manager. So we kind of know his philosophy. And the reality is he never really had a identity in terms of his, as a manager at Everton. I don't think he really still does at Madrid. You know, from what I've watched in Madrid this year, all right, it's been ex- pretty much exclusively Champions League, one or two La Liga games, but it's still very much the same. You know, the, the you, you're kind of relying on the quality of players and, you know, he started yesterday, didn't he, with a four-three-three, uh, and then I think it went. He brought Camavinga on, didn't he? And it went to like a four-two-four um, with Rodrigo coming on. Yeah, he and he um, obviously the goal scorer. But even there, you kind of like you know, uh, Cruz come off, Modric come off. You know, those kind of key pillars come off, and it was thrown caution to the wind a little bit and okay, paid off, but it wasn't as if they got back into the game as a result of kind of, um, you know, the, the philosophy that they play or, you know, a really kind of strong performance that eventually led to to the goals. It was kind of just throwing caution to the wind a little bit and it, and it paid off, but there's still not a huge uh, identity for me with this Madrid size, you know, I still don't know. Uh, it's it's really hard. It, it's it's kind of what we always said. Remember, we said the reason why he was not good for, as an Everton manager is because he couldn't really come in and and build a structure uh, and get, and maximize the what what they had at the squads. He uh, he was a master, like a man manager, of letting uh, truly elite players go out and be elite. And it still kind of feels like that's yeah. what's happening. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, he does feel very chessboard, Ancelotti. Um, it, it does seem to be very, like, from match to match, um, strategic little tactical tweaks, but no overwhelming fixed way of playing. Um, it changes every week, depending on who he's playing. And uh, I suppose it's a good and a bad thing, but I've always felt those coaches that are like that, there for cup competitions. Them coaches mm-hmm. have always felt that. And if you look at the, the other coaches who fit that bracket, Benitez, uh, Unai Emery, in my, they, they don't... Well, I mean, Ancelotti's won the league this season, to be fair to him. But mm. I've always viewed him more as a cup coach. Um, same with Benitez, same with Emery. And it's because they can, they can just come up with ways of winning these isolated knockout ties over one or two games. Whereas over 38 games... Maybe they'll lose a few. Like Villarreal kept getting touted as this the seventh best team in Spain. No chance were they the seventh best team in Spain. Far better than that. Um, but you know the table looks that way in a way. Mm. Um, but just on him being very tactics board, very chess board thing. Um, one thing I am worried about. We will preview the game closer to it. But Vinicius Junior was a massive problem for Manchester City. Um, 
and I've been impressed with him for a while, actually. But when we faced Real last season, okay, we had a fair few injuries. It was far from the usual Liverpool team that we know. But specifically in the away leg, Vinicius had Trent on toast. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure when it comes to the final, Klopp's going to have to come up with something to prevent those 1v1s from happening every five minutes. Because if Vinicius is constantly getting runs at Trent, Kyle Walker struggled to deal with him. And Kyle Walker's far better defensively than centres. Mm. Yeah, he's got this. He's, he's very quick, isn't he, Walker? Which kind of helps him recover if he does get done in a in a one v one. Or you know, Trent hasn't really got that. Um, I mean, you know, we were talking about Ancelotti there, and something dawned on me that you know we've been quite critical and not having identity. Maybe that's what makes him so so good that he doesn't have one he just adapts and adapts well and that's why he's been successful in most places he's went and on that point one thing I would say is if you look at his records at um, against Klopp you know certainly recently he does do a good job of, of making life really difficult for you know Klopp's Liverpool team I had, yeah. a, I had a little gander at the the record, and it's I think he's only won one of the last six meetings with him. Um, Klopp has, yeah, and that was that was the FA Cup game where it was a bit bizarre. Do you remember the the one where Liverpool played like the second or third string? Um, oh yeah, Curtis yeah. Jones winner. Yeah, yeah, which was yeah. a very kind of strange game. Um, but yeah, and I I think of the of the meetings that while he's been in charge of Everton and Napoli in those six games, Liverpool only managed to score more than a single goal once. Um, one of the Goodison derbies, and I think they failed to score in three of them. So, what that tells me, and it kind of coincides what with what I think we we've seen when watching these matches, is he does a good job of nullifying Liverpool and their attacking a threat and. While I would say is that those City would have been the tougher contest based on how good they are, Liverpool still always find a way to show the be- their best selves, you know, against Guardiola's City, where I don't always think they managed to do it as well against an Ancelotti team. Yeah, I agree. It, it stems back from his our meetings with his Napoli team, I think. Uh, I think we faced him once or twice in group stages and I don't think we beat them in either game. Or if we did, we scraped over the line. Mm. Um, that might have been the season that we won the Champions League actually when Alisson mm. made that late save against the uh, Arcadius Miller, I think it was. Mm. So yeah, Ancelotti does seem to be uh what's the word? Maybe a thorn for Klopp. A thorn in the side. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um but as I said, we will preview the game when we get closer to it. But just generally, despite uh, Real Madrid's history in the tournament, despite the perks attached to Real Madrid, I do think it's a positive outcome for Liverpool. I, I, I would, I really didn't want to face City in the final, mm. uh, and I'm glad that's not happening. Um, but at the same time, Real Madrid have a history in this competition, and based on how they've progressed each round, they surely must be sat thinking, "Our name is written on this." You know, the age mm. that that old chestnut, if you like. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, it's uh, as I said, we can kind of bat that off, but you, they probably are, you know. This is why I think this one's really tough. As I said, me, me head kind of says Liverpool go and win it, better team, but I wouldn't say confidently. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Well, Liverpool themselves had a scare 
uh, we only got in the Champions League final after a resurgent second half performance. Did you watch the game, Dave? Yeah. Well, mm. the first half in particular. I mean, I'm half happy that Villarreal at least showed that they can actually play football because we yeah. looked like liars after the first leg. They looked awful. Um, but in the second leg, they did turn up to be fair to them and they made life very, very difficult for Liverpool. I was very impressed with them. Um, and Liverpool, it was actually weird being in the position of the team that is suffering from a comeback. Mm. Uh, I can't think of too many of those over the years for Liverpool, if any, really. Um, but, you know, credits, credits to Villarreal and that was a serious first-half performance for them. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. the um, Obviously, it wasn't just that they got the two goals. They just really disrupted Liverpool. I, I can't remember the time I'd seen Liverpool give the ball away so much as they did in that first half. You know, they just didn't seem to be able to cope with the pressure. Um, I think it was a 69% accuracy. Yeah, that's, that's very low when you think that Liverpool is somewhere in high 80s most games. Um, yeah. which Which, you know, yeah, captures... A uh, small bit of the issues they had. Obviously, some adjustments made at half time. Uh, one thing I would say is, although I don't, I'd be keen to see what you thought. I still didn't think um, it, it, Liverpool were going to come out and be be like that for a full ninety minutes. You know, if there's something I've learned over the years, specifically in the Klopp era, it's that he always finds solutions him and the staff always find solutions like it's very rare you'll see liverpool pull in a really poor performance for 90 minutes you know they, they obviously started yeah. not great in this game but <clears throat> excuse me they always seem to find a way to to rectify the issue and i wasn't surprised that there was a much improved display in the second half well i think that the newfound depth if you like at the club uh really helps with that um, the last performance in the Champions League that I can remember like this was away against Inter Milan. Liverpool really weren't playing well. And I think on the hour mark, I think Klopp made four subs. He just subbed basically half of his team. And you can bring on four different players in the same roles without changing the, in terms of the system. And just by introducing fresh faces, those players just keep the ball a bit better, make better decisions on the ball and play better on the day. Um, but I do think generally... You are right in terms of Klopp being able to, uh, whatever it is, get his players going, make tactical adjustments um, and address the problem, basically. I thought it was interesting mm. and I sent out a, a, a newsletter on this that I think everybody watching the game will have thought, get Jordan Henderson on. I think everyone will have thought that Steve McMahon and Seddy. Um, I was watching the match with a few uh, old-timers, let's say, and uh, one or two of them were saying that. And I, can't, I couldn't help but say, you know, call me crazy, but I think I don't think Liverpool would be much better if Jordan Henderson was on the pitch here. It wasn't one of those issues where Liverpool were lacking leadership or Liverpool were complacent. It, it looked more to be Liverpool need to start playing football first. And second, I think Klopp highlighted that the front three in particular were just too, too fixed, too static in, in their movements against a back line that kind of man marks and uh, his substitution rather than taking off Kate and putting Henderson on which is what I'm sure a lot of pundits will have done Klopp took off Jose and brought on Diaz hmm. Liverpool's front three was a lot more interchangeable and uh, I mean Diaz again the, the ultimate impact sub 
to the extent that he should probably be starting every week. Yeah. But, you know, serious player. Oh, he's phenomenal. You know, I can't believe... Well, no, I'm not going to be too critical. He was the one where we said, oh, might be a little bit of a doubt, you know, <laughs> as to how he, uh, how he adjusts uh, coming in, you know, mid-season. But he's been phenomenal. You know, he's such a threat on the ball. Um, I feel because he's such a threat on the ball, you know, he, he then attracts a lot of attention from defenders, which in turn, you know, opens up spaces for others to exploit. You know, there was a couple of times, wasn't there, where it felt like he was he, he was pushing the defensive line back because players were trying to stick with him. And then, you know, the likes of Keita or Mane were, were finally getting some spaces in between the lines where they could get on the ball, turn and, and, and make stuff happen. So... He just completely changed the game. And, and and Robertson said as much, didn't he, in that press conference afterwards. He's, I think he was trying to be careful not to pick him up too much at the um, at the risk of upsetting Jota, who obviously was the unlucky one to come off. But he, you know, he touched on the fact that he was getting on the ball, dribbling, um, pushing pushing the defenders back, creating spaces, and he, he literally transformed the game. Yeah, he, he reminds me a little bit of Salah and Mane when they first came to Liverpool where they were just still relatively young and as a result of that just packed full of energy directness um, natural ability if you like and just explosive pace um, I think the older Mane and Salah have got the more they've kind of almost become in a way just kind of possession based plays really uh, but Diaz is, is kind of a throwback as to what they were when they first arrived just so direct and so um, going off instinct almost and Diaz is, is very much doing that and he did change the game a lot I love how he he just kind of immediately started going at Juan Foyta every every opportunity uh, whenever he received the ball just immediately facing up his man let's go at it just never really shaking a 1v1 uh, obviously, he scored, and but on top of that, Liverpool did just play football a lot better. Um, I do think some of that stemmed from Villarreal. Villarreal seemed to change their approach for the second half now that they'd gone level, which I do understand, and I might have done myself, but I've seen some criticism for that uh, because some people suggested that they should have kept you know, penning Liverpool in their own half for the whole 90 minutes, whether that's even possible or not, I'm not sure. But Liverpool were just allowed to play football in the second half. And, uh, you know, when, when when two teams are playing football against you like that, and the levels between the individuals are that, that drastic, and Villarreal used so much energy in the first half. I think it was a matter of time before Liverpool kind of got things back on in control. I, I never really felt at any point that Liverpool were going to actually go out weirdly no I didn't either um, it's really hard to sustain it to the level they did they probably would have needed maybe a third goal to go ahead in the tie and then they could kind of sit back uh, and become really disciplined and, and try and frustrate Liverpool but what, what I found I don't know if you'd agree I, I found in those in that second half I mean it changed very quickly didn't it but it felt like the they hadn't fully uh, reversed what they were doing, but they also weren't. Um, they didn't have the same, I don't know, belief, or they didn't have the same um, intent when they were pressing Liverpool. They weren't as you know, aggressive, and 
they were kind of caught between the two, and that's how they ended up getting punished. I think if they would have another goal, you know, if they would have went three up on the night, they could have fully uh, dropped in then, and and maybe they would have had more success in just trying to shut Liverpool out. But um, obviously, they didn't. They were in this kind of in between, and they got they got punished quite quite severely. Yeah, I mean, what I will say as well is, despite how well they they played, which I wouldn't really deny, but at the same time. They posted a total in the match of just six shots. Uh, Liverpool, for a bit of perspective on that, posted 15. Mm. Uh, and Villarreal only hit the target twice. Both of them obviously found a net. Um, and in terms of the XG for the combined tie over both legs, Liverpool posted a total of 3.8 and Villarreal posted 1.3. So that's very much a deserved win. Liverpool goes through uh, far better than Bayern Munich across both legs and deservedly in the final really. So despite the despite the scares, uh, I do think Liverpool absolutely deserve to be in the final and um it's gonna be interesting considering the running that Liverpool have got now, two finals and how many league matches? Uh four. Three? Four. Four, yeah. So uh, I mean it's it's what you dream of really, isn't it? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red channel. Is, uh, I mean, what was it? They played every possible game they could have this season, or the goals. Yeah, yeah. Which is an insane, uh, insane statistic. Um, I did see someone say, though, that that's the first time it's ever happened. And it's actually not even the first time it's ever happened to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool did it in 2001 uh, with Carragher and the, uh, when we won the uh, UEFA Cup and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I assume is it just because the, the, it's because it's Champions League this time around that's why they're different, different yeah. Yeah. yeah probably yeah but it's a, it's a lot and this team so, she seems to be like showing no sign of drop off either um, so I don't know well is it six wins needed and, and that's that's everything in the bank isn't it well depending on what happens at City well just just on that before I guess we, we look ahead to the, the, the weekend what are, what are your thoughts with City which way do you think they'll go um, it's really difficult to say. I don't think they will now go mental and beat Newcastle ten nil. I I think they will have a hangover from this. I think it'll, they'll be hurting. Um, but I still think they've got enough, particularly at home, to just make it a boring game and beat Newcastle two nil fairly comfortably, fairly routine. If they concede first somehow, that would be really interesting. Because as I said, they have taken a hit this week with that. That's a big, that's a big knock. That means the Champions League for them is is the holy grail. Really, they still haven't won it, and to get within three minutes of a final and to then lose by conceding three goals in six minutes, that is brutal. That. You do wonder where how motivated they're going to be as well because. The Premier League is huge, it's massive, but like anything, you know, they've won it a few times, haven't they? I feel like it would, it, it's not going to have that same um, motivation, I think, as it would for Liverpool. You know, I think Liverpool obviously desperate to win it again, you know, in, in a kind of proper season that without what happened last time. And I feel, I don't know, I feel like they, they, they want to win it more. So, you know, will, will that cost City? You know, when it gets to the nitty gritty over these final few games, or 
or will it go the other way where do you think there's absolutely no way we can finish this season without without winning a major honor gotta find a way to to see this out yeah well the thing is on top of the game is you know ruben diaz i am at laporte joe cancelo bernardo silva and phil foden all played 120 minutes in that game foden in particular looked absolutely shattered um de bruyne came off something like 70 minutes but even when he came off he looked knackered Mm. Uh, Kyle Walker looked injured to me I'm not really sure whether he is or not but um, as we've seen maybe in the past couple of weeks they don't have anywhere near the depth that Liverpool have uh, at the minute so it's going to be interesting to see the reaction in this Newcastle game because the spotlight will be bright on them this weekend Um, and it's up to them I suppose to show that they can to show that it was just a minor blip in the road or to show whether they're going to be majorly hit on the back of that mm. Mm. Um, but regardless of what happens Liverpool have to do the business against Spurs um, I am mildly concerned about this one that this could mm. this is by far Liverpool's toughest uh, game in the running in my opinion yeah I agree I know we said uh, last weekend could be decisive and it turned out being pretty unremarkable uh, <laughs> which is you know is a testament to Liverpool and City, isn't it, really, that they just continually to just continue to keep going on and winning football matches. But again, this one looks like it could be uh, quite quite important because I, I think a key difference with Tottenham, obviously, one, they're a better team than what Newcastle are, despite Newcastle's good form. But I don't know if you agree, Josh, I'm sure you will to an extent, or maybe you see it differently, but the, the kind of... As a, as a structure, as a team, they kind of set up to cause Liverpool problems uh, because of the way they yeah. can kind of comfortably sit in, but then hit you f- like fast on the break with the likes of Kane and Son. And that's the only way you really get Liverpool if you manage to somehow hit them fast and beat the offside trap. Yeah, well, one of the goals he scored against City a few few weeks ago, a few months ago maybe, uh, was, was straight off the training ground. And it was it was the ball came into Kane in that little ten space around the halfway line, and with his first touch, he just smacked the ball in behind, and Son was already on his bike, already expecting it, and he, I think he ended up feeding Kulusevski, and Kulusevski scored. But the fact that Spurs have had a week, a full week to to work on that sort of stuff, Liverpool have obviously been away during the week, and Spurs have just come off a good win there against. Leicester, I think it was three 0 I think it, I think the scoreline. Yeah, I am just a bit concerned as to how fresh they're going to be, how tactically ready they're going to be, and already, despite that, how suited they are maybe to facing a team like Liverpool. Like I do think in this game, there's going to be a, a few, a fair few moments where we get completely opened up, and I think Allison will will have to be on his toes in this game in terms of one v one and stuff because. I think Spurs are, are, are well suited to exploit Liverpool's, you know, high line slash offside that type thing. Yeah, the, I mean, the only thing I feel like we always do this, and then Liverpool just cope comfortably with it. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. which is well, hopefully that happens, mate. Yeah, no, yeah, it's uh, that's it because I suppose you 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 don't want them to to not just to be proven right, but you know, again, if we're kind of looking at it before the game, you know, not with the benefit of hindsight. Stylistically, it's a, it's a tough one. You know, they've got a, a top coach in place. They, 
the, the, the way it, it works. I mean, what you got to remember is this is this is a team who've done the double over Man City. You know, the other team who we'd say are kind of on the same level as Liverpool, the only other side. You know, Tottenham beat them whole man away. Now I know, and and he drew with us away as well. Well, yeah, and he drew when they were at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a draw there. So you know, they played three games against City, Liverpool, and uh, they're undefeated so far. So. Look, Liverpool could well, go, go up as they went 3 0, but it's uh, it, it does look like it could be a tough one. This, yeah, I think one of the reasons I'm quite fearful of this team and how they can just punish you with moments almost is I think they've just got they've got those attackers that are just ruthless. Um, like I actually think Son Young Min might be the best finisher in the country. Um, just even if you look at his expected goals over the past few years, it's just incredible, really. I mean, since since 2017, uh, this is his fifth season now with Spurs. And in the Premier League, he's scored, he's overperformed XG by about 21.8 goals uh, consistently every season. This season, he's currently overperforming by about six goals. Last season, it was about six goals. Last season, I think he ranked inside the top two for overperformance. And this season, I think he is again inside the top three. So for a two-year period there, at least, Son has been really making use of the shots he's been presented with, let's say that. Um, very suited to playing counter-attack on football, and we know how good Carrie Kane is at finding him. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say on that, though, is recently Spurs played, I think it, was, I think it might have been Brentford, and they really shut down Spurs' entire attack by just preventing Kane from picking up the ball in those deeper areas, if you know what I mean. Mm. Kane is kind of the conductor of their attack. He just receives the ball, and wherever he is, he lifts his head up, and he's able to find his, the, the runners in behind. Um, but if you stop there, the passes into Kane, stop him from receiving the ball, no matter where it is, just stop him from getting on the ball. You can't stop a lot of what they do. How um did they, what were they doing like putting someone man marking them really? Kind of they they were they were following them right the way. You know, I sense that I would follow them as far as he would go, and at the same time they were like blocking passing lanes and stuff like that, making those central passes from say the wing back into his feet. They were cutting off that so that the wing back maybe had to go down the line or whatever. Um, the different ways of doing it. I'm not sure Liverpool will. You know, specifically man marking, but like that. But mm-hmm. Klopp has always been kind of like, if you're facing a top striker, the best way in which to nullify him is by stopping the service essentially mm-hmm. into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he's. I mean, he's been fantastic, really, in the way his games adapted over the last year or two. You know, it's the kind of thing you'd you'd expect to see. You know, in his early thirties, and to be doing it now and still being such a goal threat. Um, you know, he's a Top top player, uh, and yeah, those two in particular who I'd be concerned about from a Liverpool perspective. Yeah, I mean, Conte's made a fair few changes since he's been at Spurs now in terms of the the underlying performance numbers, expected goals, and stuff. He has turned them into a team. Uh, they are steadily climbing. Then now, remember we spoke earlier in the year, and we said it was comfortably Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, Liverpool and City at the top. Then a massive gap to Chelsea then a massive gap to everybody else. Now it's still Liverpool and City comfortably at the top, then a massive gap to Chelsea, 
then I gap to Spurs and then I gap to everybody else. So according to you know the underlying performance, Spurs are the fourth best team in the country at the minute, mm. and some of those numbers obviously will be impacted by Spurs' performance under Nuno. So I think Spurs are probably closer to Chelsea if Monster than, than mm. Arsenal. They just need to get the consistency sorted. Um, but you do look like an interesting team, and they're going to be a challenge next year, I think. Yeah, well, they've <clears throat> to be fair, they've only lost one as well uh, in the last one, two, three, four, seven matches, uh, and that was I think that that last minute winner for for Brighton. So, yeah, the, I mean, they are winning games as well, and that you touched on that before, but that was that result was fairly comprehensive against Leicester. Um, so they, yeah, they probably will. It, the only th- the only thing that might upset that Josh is if Conte doesn't stay for whatever reason next year. Yeah, I think that'll lie on that transfer window, won't it? Yeah, because he, he does say some random things in the media, and you go, <laughs> is he is he angling for them? I know he's always done that, but he's like, is is he not happy? Is he going? What's going on here? He's always struck me as the type of coach who uh, he's not very patient in the market, and he wants his club to really go for it by getting the best. Um, I think Chelsea a few years ago, he wanted them to go and get Van Dijk and he didn't. Uh, and he kicked up a fuss and things like that. And Obviously, Inter Milan sold Lukaku and Hakimi and he just resigned. <laughs> um, so, Some it's going to be interesting to see if Spurs can please him this summer, to be honest. Yeah, because that imagine they sold Kane. I can't see where Kane will go now, but... Uh, no, I can't Kane. see that one happening. But I think no. even if they don't, if they don't go and sign like a new, I think he wants like a left sided centre half and, and players like that. If he doesn't get what he wants, I don't know. Maybe he would leave. I don't know. Mm. Do you think it's weird that Son's never linked with a move away? Yeah, I said that to someone I was with the other day actually, because he's mm. been so good, Son. Liverpool mm. was strongly linked with him around the time we got Mane actually, but regardless of who we would have got at that time. I mean, they were destined to succeed at Liverpool. I would have seen, loved to have seen Son in this club system. Mm, yeah, because he, he never gets linked anywhere, does he? But no, no. So many other players of the same quality do, which is bizarre. Yeah, so verdict on this one then. I'm going to ask you for a prediction on this one, mate. I, the, the way Liverpool are at the moment, I still back Liverpool to win. I just can't see them, anyone taking points off them. So I'll go for a 2-1 Liverpool win. Um, but I agree that this, it could be potentially the toughest um, match they're going to have, you know, in the Premier League from now to the end of the season. I am really not sure when it comes to this one. I'm getting a lot of confidence from the fact that we're at home. That feel, that makes me feel good. But midweek, Spurs having a whole week off, Conte, Kane and Son... Liverpool's high line of sides up. It doesn't sound very good to me. Um, I, f- I find it weird because I think Liverpool will find a way to win. But I'm going to say 2-2. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't, don't quote me on that one. I'll keep that one quiet. Um, you know, all these yeah. listeners. Just, just the 30,000 listeners keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. It's a bit like the Real Madrid thing. Like, I feel like Liverpool will find some way of winning. Um, just because the title is on the line and stuff. Mm. But if I'm just looking at what I maybe expect from the game, I do think Spurs will score more than once. Is is um, for you, and this might have been common knowledge in the Liverpool community, but and I, I think I've missed it. Why is the game so late? 
Uh, I'm not sure actually. I think there is a reason behind it, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if that is a good or a bad thing. I reckon it's good because it's at Anfield. Possibly, yeah. Uh, you know, at Anfield under the lights and, and, and things, but. I, I I don't know. I feel like that works better through the week. Where's a Saturday night? You know, maybe I don't know. And no idea, mate, to answer your question. But I just think the last time I remember Saturday night games was was when it was COVID. You know, behind closed yeah. doors. Well, I've just looked. Actually, City don't play until the Sunday. Um, it might have been interesting if City would have played earlier, mm. and then Liverpool would have played. But City play on Sunday at half four. So regardless of the time Liverpool are playing on, on the Saturday, they are guaranteed to play first and maybe they can put a bit of pressure on City then. But mm. it's going to be one to watch anyway. Um, hopefully Liverpool keep the winning theme and keep moving forward. Um, but yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Okay, mate, thank you. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. So uh, thanks for tuning in and we will see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.